Last summer, an eight-year-old boy named Declan was out in North Carolina with his family. They were going on a vacation. So they go to the beach in Oak Island, North Carolina. They bring all their beach stuff. They got their cooler. They got their umbrella. They got all the stuff. They're ready to go, including an inflatable unicorn. Well, little eight-year-old Declan goes out to the water with this inflatable unicorn, gets out to the water, gets up in knee-high water, and while everybody else is kind of paying their own attention to what they're doing, they're not watching little eight-year-old Declan. Well, a gust of wind starts to blow that unicorn further out towards the ocean. Well, Declan doesn't want to let his unicorn go, so he holds on to the unicorn. And he starts getting further and further. The water goes higher and higher to the point where he can't even feel the sand under his, his feet anymore. So he keeps, keeps holding on, and he keeps floating and drifting further and further out from the shore. A couple of minutes go by. Declan's dad looks up and happens to realize, oh my gosh, my son is get, drifting out to the open ocean. So he runs down to the water. And by the time he gets to the water's edge, Declan and the unicorn are already a half a mile out into the ocean. So they call 911. 911 does a dispatch. They dispatch this motorized vehicle, this motorized boat. It's got a motor on the back side of it. So this emergency response team goes out there. By the time they get out to where Declan is, he's holding on for dear life, keeping his head above water, keep, keeps breathing, keeps holding on to this unicorn. But they get to him, and they get, them, get there in time to save him. They pull Declan into the, the motorized raft. They give him a helmet. They give him a life jacket, and they grab onto the unicorn, and they tow them back to shore. Here's a picture of the rescue that took place last summer. Declan's in the silver, silver helmet there, and there's that unicorn that took him all the way out there. Now, once they got back, the chief who's in charge of this rescue, he said this. His name is Tony. Tony Young said this. He said, we've rescued dozens of these things, speaking about the unicorn, we rescued dozens of these things throughout the years, but this is the first time there's actually a little kid attached to it. <laughs> now, I find that interesting, that there's not more rescues of kids getting dragged out to sea as they're drifting away. I also find it interesting because the reality is that people drift all the time. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a situation similar to this. I don't know if you've ever gone down to the ocean before, but perhaps if you have, you walk down into the ocean, you get into the water, and the current begins to take you 50 yards away, 100 yards away, takes you down shore. My wife and I, when we lived in San Diego, this is oftentimes the case. We would go down there, we'd get in the water, and the water with the currents would take us 50 yards, 100 yards, 200 yards away, and eventually we'd look up and ask this question, how did I get here? Now, perhaps if you have ever said that question, if you've ever asked that question, whether you've been in open water in the San Juan River drifting down while, you know, trying to get trout or in the Navajo Lake or in the Farmington Lake, regardless of water, if you've ever asked that question, how did I get here? Then perhaps you too know what it's like to drift. Today, we're starting a brand new series called Drift. Now, the purpose of this series is not to talk about drifting in open waters and open ocean. The purpose of this series is to talk about relationships. There's all sorts of different areas in our lives that we can drift, but relationships are one of the top areas that many of us have drifted or are currently drifting today. Now, that goes for all sorts of different kinds of relationships. Perhaps you've drifted before in your marriage. At one point, you were madly in love, and you've just gone your own ways, right? You've drifted apart from each other. Perhaps you've drifted in your friendships before. People that you're really close with, you've drifted apart from each other. Perhaps you've drifted from your relationship with God. You used to be on fire in your relationship with God, but maybe you've drifted away from God. Or perhaps you've drifted from other people as well. Maybe you've drifted from your kids. Maybe you're really, really close with your kids, but you've drifted apart. Throughout the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at a couple questions as it relates to relationships and drifting from them. Here's the questions we're going to look at over the next few weeks. Now, question number one is this. What will cause me to drift? 
We're going to look at relationships and ask the question, what's going to cause me to drift? Second question, how can I avoid drifting? And third question, if I've been drifting, how can I get back to where I'm supposed to be? How can I get back if I've been drifting in the past? Now, specifically today, we're going to answer those questions, look at those questions in the context of marriage. Now, when I say marriage, half of the audience, you just tuned out because you're not married. And I get it. But I want to encourage you, don't tune out. Don't let your mind drift away. Don't get on Instagram and Facebook. Don't like make your to-do list of things you got to do later. Because perhaps if you're not married right now, maybe you're not old enough to be married, or maybe you've been married in the past. Maybe you're single right now. Maybe you're divorced. But maybe, maybe God has marriage in store for you in the future. So, so I would encourage you, don't disconnect. Even if you're not going to get married in the future, there's people that you know that are married. And perhaps some of the things we talk about today will not just be beneficial to you, but also to them. So I would encourage you, write some things down. Take some notes especially if you're married. If you're married, lean into this conversation, lean into this discussion, because there's things that will be impactful for you. So let's start off with these questions. We're going to look at these questions as it relates to marriage. What causes me to drift in marriage? How can I avoid drifting in marriage? And if I've been drifting, how can I get back to where I'm supposed to be? So let's start off with that first question. What causes me to drift in a marriage? Perhaps what causes you to drift in your marriage? Here's the short answer. I'll give you the long answer too, but here's the short answer. The short answer is, not God. What causes you to drift? It ain't God. God's not causing you to drift. God, God wants you to be close. God wants you to, together. He wants you to be uni- united. He wants you to be unified. That was his goal from the beginning from, for marriage. If you look at the beginning, the first marriage ev- ever is Adam and Eve, right? God creates Adam. And, and then after he creates Adam, he's like, I should make him a companion. He makes all these animals. No suitable companion was found. So he designs and crafts Eve, not just to be his companion, but to be Adam's wife. Let's look at this. Genesis chapter 2. There's something that stands out as far as how God looks at marriage. And we'll get to that. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 21. The Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while Adam was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought the woman to the man. Verse 23, Adam said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife because they become one flesh. You see, God's intention for your marriage is that you're united. He doesn't want you divided. He wants you united. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. God's plan for marriage is to be united, not divided. Now, if that's God's plan for marriage, then why is it that so many marriages are divided? Why is it that so many spouses have drifted away from each other, that they're not united? If God wants you to be united, if that's the purpose and the intention that he had for creating marriage in the first place, why do people drift apart? Well, here's the short answer for that. It's because couples stop being intentional. Remember what it was like when you first started dating? You first met her? And you were like, hey, girl, got a number? <laughs> and you first saw him, and you made those little googly eyes. You batted your eyes at him, and, and you were intentional. Perhaps you, you dropped a, 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 a pickup line. Maybe you said something like this, uh, do you believe in love at first sight, or should I walk by again? <laughs> Maybe you're super cheesy, and you said something like this, hey, do you like raisins? How about a date? Or maybe you said, if I could rearrange the alphabet, I'd put you and I together. Mm. Because you're like smooth. Or maybe you said this, if you were a transformer, you'd be Optimus Fine. Uh. 
Or maybe this one. Is your name Google? Because you have everything I'm searching for. <laughs> Some of you are going to be writing these down. You're like, oh, hey, say that one again, Pastor. If you were Google, I'm Optimus Fine. What? <laughs> <laughs> if you are writing those down, don't write this one down. This one is not going to work for you at all. My love for you is like diarrhea. I just can't hold it in. <laughs> don't say that. That one's not going to get you anywhere. That's not going to get you any dates. <laughs> Maybe perhaps when you were dating, you, you were creative. You were intentional. You made googly eyes. Maybe you held hands. Fellas, maybe you opened the door for her. Maybe you wrote little cute notes and you, you put those little post-it notes all over the place. Maybe you unrolled the toilet paper and you wrote a little note that says, I love you, honey buns. And then you rolled it back up so she'd find it later on. <laughs> I love you, honey buns, not I love your honey buns. <laughs> maybe you did all these little cute things. Maybe you stayed up on the phone and talked for hours when you were getting to know each other when you were dating. Or maybe like when I was in high school, you didn't have cell phones, so you paged each other back and forth. Or maybe you didn't have pager because you're older than that. You had like the rotary phone, so you're... Hang on. Or maybe you're older than that. Maybe you just like wrote a note and put it on a pigeon. And hey, go, go to my Prince Charming. Take this little note. But at one point, perhaps you're intentional. And perhaps you did a lot, a lot of cute things, intentional things. But then you get married. And you begin to drift away from your intentionality. And all of a sudden, you're not making the googly eyes anymore. You're not holding hands anymore. You're not opening the door anymore. You're not writing the notes anymore. You're not communicating and not talking like you used to. This coming Friday, we have a, a Valentine's date night. We've never done this before, but we're having our first ever Valentine's date night. It's going to be a lot of fun. We have a comedian couple coming. Their, their names are Jerry and Amy Minor. Now, they, they travel all over the country. They're Christian comedians, but they're a married couple. And what's funny is that part of their act is that they make fun of married couples. They're, they are a married couple, but they make fun of married couples because they, too, have recognized that sometimes you're intentional when you're single or you're dating, and then you lose some of that intentionality once you become married. I have a little clip that I want to share with you to, to tease you for this coming Valentine's Day, so check out this clip with Jerry and Amy Miner. All right, ladies, it's Saturday night. You're out with your husband and I. Maybe, uh, let's say, you planned ahead for tonight yep. and you shaved your legs. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a marriage, right? If you realize today that you have not had to replace your razor this year, <laughs> that's a marriage. <laughs> Might be a little rusty on the backside. You might have to pry it off the shower wall. You might need a tetanus shot the next time you decide to use it. But nothing says I love you like letting yourself go. That is deep right there. That, is, that, should, that should be on a t-shirt. It should be on a t-shirt, yeah. Big old triple X t-shirt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> With chocolate covered bacon dripping down. You, you laugh because some of you have rusty razors in your bathroom right now. <laughs> it can be true. Sometimes we can drift away from what the intentionality we once had, perhaps when we were in love, when we were dating, the, the first part of the honeymoon phase of a relationship. But sometimes people begin to drift away. And that's not the intention that they had, but that's just the reality. You begin to drift from the other person. And, and why is it that people drift? Well, here's the reason. It's because they're not being intentional. Once they were intentional, but after time, after months, years, decades, there's not intentionality anymore. But here's, here's the bummer when it comes to drifting in a marriage. Sometimes you're drifting, but you don't know it. That's kind of the nature of it, isn't it? 
You sometimes begin to drift apart, and, and at one point, you, you wake up, you're like, how did I get here? It's because you were drifting slowly, and you didn't even recognize it. You weren't even aware of it. That means if you're married right now, there's a chance, there's a possibility that maybe you're drifting, and you don't know it. So let me help you out this morning. Let me give you a couple red flags. Let me give you a couple warning signs that might indicate that you've been drifting in your marriage. You might be drifting in your marriage if, if you fight with your spouse a lot. You might be drifting in your marriage if you're withdrawing from one another, if you roll eyes at each other, if you don't fight fair, if your fights escalate out of control into screaming matches. You might be drifting in your marriage if you have the same arguments over and over and over and over again, if you oftentimes fight in front of your kids, if there seems to be a feeling of indifference between both of you, if one or both of you starts to detach emotionally, if there's a lot of nitpicking between the two of you. You might be drifting in your marriage if you no longer enjoy spending time with each other, if your spouse spends free time away from you on a regular basis, if you have nothing nice to say to one another, you don't talk about your problems or feelings with your spouse, if you don't respect each other, if you can't seem to agree on goals and values, you might be drifting in your marriage, if you don't trust one another or you feel suspicious of the other person, if the level of sexual intimacy in your marriage is low or non-existent, you might be drifting. You might be drifting if teasing has become hurtful or harmful in your relationship. If your partner keeps secrets and you know it, if you think you're getting sick due to marital stress, if you don't make time for new experiences, if you stop dating your spouse, if your spouse won't let you see their phone, if your spouse is in frequent contact with old boyfriends or girlfriends on social media, if your spouse ever tries to isolate you from your family or your friends, or if you discover that your spouse is lying about money or hides money or controls you with money, or perhaps if there's an emotional or physical abuse in your marriage, or if one or both of you has considered cheating or has cheated, whether in real life or online or physically or emotionally, or you might be drifting in your marriage if you feel happier when your spouse is away from you. I'll be honest, that's a crazy list. Now, you might be thinking, well, I'm not guilty of all of those things, only a few of those things. But quite frankly, even if you're guilty of a few of those things, if you have a few of those things, even if you have one of those things in your marriage, then perhaps you're drifting and you don't know it. And perhaps you're drifting into dangerous waters and you got to stop. Now, that's the bad news. You might be drifting. Here's the good news. The good news is that even if you have been drifting, God's word gives us a plan for how to get back to where we're supposed to be. His goal is not that we're divided, that we're united. So here's how we can get back to where we're supposed to be. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 says this. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Now, if you're drifting, how do you stop drifting? You drop an anchor. You stop the drifting and you drop an anchor. And specifically in Hebrews 6, it says we have this hope that's an anchor. What's the hope? It's God's word. Word. It's God's truth. That's the anchor in our relationships. That should be the anchor in our relationships. Drop an anchor, but don't just drop it on anything. Drop it on something that's firm and secure. That anchor is God's word. So if, if we're going to be anchored to God's word, then what in scripture, what in the Bible relates to marriage that we should be connected to? If we're going to stop drifting from our marriages, stop drifting from our spouse, what specifically in scripture should we be anchored to? What's firm and secure? Well, let's unpack that. First Corinthians 13, it's known as the love chapter. Perhaps you've read this before. Perhaps you've heard it at a wedding. Perhaps it was in your wedding. Here's what it says about love. First Corinthians 13, starting in verse four, Paul writes this. He said, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Now, so far, I've read three verses. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, 5, and 6. 
And in, in verse 7, that we haven't read yet, verse 7, Paul says something else. He puts an extra word in there that he didn't include in verses 4, 5, and 6. And I want to, want to see if you can pick up on the word. Here's, here's verse 7. Paul says, Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Now, what's the qualifying word that he added? Always. He didn't say that in verse 4, 5, or 6. It's not to, not to say that verse 4, 5, and 6 aren't impactful. They are. Love is patient. Love is kind. That can transform your marriage. But then in verse 7, he says, Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, if this is true, which I believe it is true, because I don't believe Paul just wrote this. I believe he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. All Scripture is God-breathed. I believe it's true because it's the Word of God. And if it's true, that means the real love, true love, godly love, is a love that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And if that's the case, then if that's, if that's true always, then that's what we need to anchor our relationships to. That's what we need to anchor our marriage to. Because if we're drifting, we got to stop drifting, get anchored to something firm and secure. What's firm and secure? Something that never changes, something that's always true. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So this morning, we're going to look at all four of those characteristics as anchors. We're going to specifically unpack them and look at them as though they are anchors. So if you're taking notes, you write this down. Number one, the first anchor we're going to talk about is the anchor of protection. Again, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So the first anchor is the anchor of protection. In 1996, a painter by the name of Jack Dawson created a painting called Peace in the Midst of the Storm. Let me put up the picture so you can see it. Here's Peace in the Midst of the Storm. Now, you might look at this painting, and you might see the storm. You might be like, okay, Matt, I see the storm, I see the lightning, I see the clouds, the dark clouds, I see the water, the rushing water. It looks like, you know, an arroyo is coming down or something. I see all that, but where's, where's the peace? Let me show you where the peace is. I got this little laser pointer. See this? See this guy right there? That's a bird. As a bird, and that bird is experiencing peace in the storm. Now, why? Because the bird's protected by that rock right above it. Even in the midst of the storm, the bird is experiencing peace. When my wife and I were engaged several years ago, 11 years ago, we went to a, a premarital counselor. And I would encourage you, if you're engaged, go to premarital counseling. It's, it'll change your life, change your marriage. It's for the better. So we go to a premarital, uh, premarital counselor. And we're sitting down talking with this counselor, and she tells us all about that picture. And she says, Matt, Ashton, there's going to be times that marriage is tough. And sometimes marriage isn't tough in the, the marriage itself. Sometimes it's other circumstances around you. You might feel like your marriage is in the storm. You might feel like the thunder and the lightning are coming. And you might feel like everything's raining down all around you. But you guys, you need to be each other's bird. That bird that's in the middle of the picture, you need to match. Sometimes you need to go to Ashton and cover her and say, I've got you. I will protect you. I'm right there with you. You're the bird for her. Then the, the counselor says, Ashton, sometimes you got to do the same thing for Matt. Sometimes he's going to have days. There's going to be days that things hit the fan and you got to go and hug him and say, hey, I've got you. We're in this together. We've got protection for the storm because you're my bird. So we took that to heart. My wife and I, we took that to heart when we're, we were engaged. Right before we get married, we got married July 24th, 2009. Got married in Cancun, Mexico. Mexico. But before we go down there, we wrote out our custom vows. And she wrote her vows, I wrote my vows. We didn't read each other's vows, but then during the ceremony, we stated each other's vows to each other for the first time. And what was, what was interesting is that we both said the same terminology in our vows. We both said words along this line. We both said, I will be your bird. <laughs> Nobody knew what we meant. <laughs> People are like, huh? That's just weird. <laughs> Perhaps, maybe. <laughs> but we live, we've lived that out. 
Over the last 10 years of our marriage, there's been many times that I've come home discouraged. My, my wife comes over and gives me a hug, and she says, I, I got you. She'll just whisper in my ear, bird. And I know what that means. There's been many times that I've gone to her where things are crashing down around her, and I hold her, and I just whisper in her, her ear, bird. Now, you might be thinking, wow, you mizels are weird. <laughs> Maybe. Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps we're a little cheesy. Perhaps we're a little weird. But, but here's the truth, is that some of you, some of you spouses need to turn to each other and say, bird, I've got you. I'm in this with you. I'm, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be that right there alongside you. You see, that's not how oftentimes marriages work. Oftentimes, guys get alone, leave the wives, and then they talk crap about their wife. They talk poorly behind closed doors. Or maybe it's a bunch of girls that get together and they talk poorly. They trash their husbands when the husbands aren't around. And that's not encouraging. That's not protecting. That's not helping. That's not building your marriage. You are called to, to be each other's greatest advocates, each other's greatest fans. You need to be each other's bird. <laughs> but, but I will tell you this, that with the anchor of protection, the anchor protection that's best to protect the bird or the birds is the rock. And the rock is Jesus. Look at what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 7. Red letters of the Bible, Jesus says this. He gives an analogy. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall. The house did not fall. It did not crumble. Why? Because they had a foundation on the rock. But, verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house not on the, the rock, but on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and the whole house fell. Why? Because it wasn't built on the rock. Friends, you've got to be each other's bird. You gotta help each other, you gotta protect each other, but you also gotta lead each other back to Jesus because He will be your rock. Build your marriage on the rock. That's the first anchor. Anchor yourself, anchor your marriage. Stop drifting by anchoring yourself with the anchor of protection. That's the first anchor. The second anchor is this the anchor of trust. Remember, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So the anchor of trust is the second anchor that we'll talk about. Now, your marriage needs, it requires trust. You can't have a relationship. You can't have a marriage if there's no trust. You have to have trust. There's a story in, in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, where there's a husband and wife, Abram and Sarai. Later, God changes their name to Abraham and Sarah. They have a son named Isaac. That's down the road. But before they have Isaac, they're Abram and Sarai. Here's part of the beginning of their marriage. So let's look at it. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country your people and your father's household to the land that I tell you. And I will make you, Abram, into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples in the earth will be blessed through you. So verse four, Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out to Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, and all the possessions they'd accumulated and all the people they had acquired from Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Emphasis on the word, they. Now, there's many people who made this migration, many people who picked up their home and moved to a new place, but it included not just Abram, but also his wife, Sarai. Now, does Sarai have to go? No. She could have said, you know what? This is your thing, Abram. God's calling you, Abram. I'm going to stay back where I'm comfortable. You go do your thing. I'll do my thing. But that's not what happened. They went together. Friends, your marriage has to be a they. You got to do things together. You know where I see this all the time? 
is in military families. Perhaps a husband works for the Army or the Navy or the Air Force, and then he gets orders to go to a new town, get stationed somewhere else, so that they got to pick up everything. And they got to move over there. And he moves over there for the job, but she goes in tow. And so do the kids. And they spend two or three years in this station, in this new place, and then they pick up and they do it again. And they go from this town and this state to this town and this state and this town and this state. I had a conversation a couple days ago with a woman. She's like, I think I've moved 12 times in my marriage. That is a, that is a mark of dedication. That is a mark of loyalty. That is a mark of trust in that marriage. When there's a they and oftentimes, we, we celebrate and we applaud veterans, and, and I'm not taking anything away from that. If you have served, we are grateful and we, have, we are thankful for you. But there's something to be said for the spouses of people who are serving, who are willing to pick themselves up and move from town to state, town to state, town to state, over and over and over. In fact, if that's ever been you, if you've ever picked up to follow your spouse for their job, will you please stand so we can recognize you? If you've ever picked up and left, moved to another town... Stay standing. Stay standing for just a second. <laughs> I'm guessing that while you have moved, there's probably been a lack of recognition or appreciation along the way somewhere. And I want you to hear that while we are thankful and grateful for your spouse and whatever they've done to serve our community and serve this great nation, we are thankful for you because you helped make it happen. You helped keep the they intact. And I hope you don't feel underappreciated or undervalued. I hope you know that what the sacrifice means from you as well. You're devoted, you're loyal, you're trustworthy. And we are thankful. So one more time, let's give a round of applause. You may be seated. Sarai followed Abram. They went together because they had to stay connected. They had to stay close by. That's God's goal. That's God's intent for our marriages, that, that we're not divided, that we're united. And sometimes that means picking up. And even if it means you get live in a van down by the river, <laughs> sometimes that means you stay connected and you stay divided, even if it's uncomfortable for one of you. You see, the mark of trust in marriage is when one spouse says to the other, hey, I'm in this with you. I trust you. So where you go, I go. What you do, I do. Wherever you're going to be, that's where I'm going to be. Our home is where we make our home because our home is us. I hope there's a they in your relationship. Now, trust is really, really important, not just when it comes to where you happen to live. It's also important as far as what your faith is, what your beliefs are. That's why Paul gives a, a warning to the church. Second Corinthians 6, he says this. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? He's basically making the point, look, marriage is hard all by itself. You got to be on the same page. You got to trust each other that you're both on the same page. You have to trust each other. And sometimes we do things that, are, that, that shoot ourselves in the foot. We break our own trust. Sometimes we do something or we say something that breaks trust or maybe it erodes trust or maybe it shatters trust. You ever lied to your spouse and got caught? You ever cheated on your spouse and got caught? The, the trust you had was shattered 
It's in a million pieces. And while you could just leave it there and continue to allow your, your relationship to drip further apart, or you could do that, or you could get up and start putting the pieces back together. If you've broken your trust, eroded your trust, if you've shattered trust, you've got to do something to build that back because you can't have a marriage with no trust. And, and you're not going to get a flood of trust. If you've broken it, you're not going to get a, a whole a royal full of, of trust, but you might get a little. You could do something to earn a little bit of trust back and then a little bit more, and then the next day a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, and eventually you have a lot more trust, but you got to start somewhere. You can't just business as usual. You can't just keep doing what you were doing and think everything's going to be okay because it's not going to be okay. you got to have trust. One of the best ways, friends, if you're reestablishing, building trust back into your relationship, one of the best ways to get trust back into your marriage is to trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Submit to his ways. Follow his ways. Trust in his ways. And when you trust in the Lord, you're establishing trust in your relationship as well. That's the second anchor to anchor your marriage to, the anchor of trust. The third anchor is this. It's the anchor of hope. I'll be honest, every marriage needs hope, but every marriage is also filled with sinful people. People aren't perfect. They make mistakes. There's no spouses that are perfect. My spouse isn't perfect. Her spouse is perfect. <laughs> Kidding. Nobody's perfect. We all have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have messed up. So, so the danger is when you put 100% of your hope in a person, even if it's your spouse, sadly, they're going to let you down because they make mistakes. They're sinful people. We're broken people. So, so we can't put all of our hope in a person, even if it's our spouse, we can't do that. So we have to put our hope in God who never leaves us, never forsakes us, and never fails us. Look at what David says in Psalm 147, 11. He says, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. God delights when you put your hope in his love, his love that doesn't fail you. It's unfailing love. That's where we got to put our hope. It can't always be in other people. We can't put 100% in another person because that person might fail you. God will never fail you. So that's the third anchor. You got to be anchored to his hope, his truth, his word. So we got the anchor of protection, the anchor of trust, the anchor of hope. Here's our fourth and final anchor that we're going to talk about today, which is the anchor of perseverance. The anchor of perseverance. You probably heard the statistic regarding marriage. 51% of all marriages end in divorce. Now that's sad. Now, don't hear me that I'm judging you. If you're divorced, I'm not judging you. I'm not judging you, but I am making the statement that God's intent for marriage is not to be divided, it's to be united. God's intent for marriage was never to have it result in divorce. And quite frankly, I don't think that was your intent either. Who walks down the aisle and is about to exchange I do's and is like, well, you know what, I can't wait until I get divorced from this person. Nobody says that. Nobody thinks that. That's not God's intent. That wasn't your intent. Yet the reality is that sometimes we're divided. And the, the reason we're divided, sometimes relationships end in divorce, marriages end in divorce, is because people quit. But the anchor of perseverance says you don't give up. You don't give up. Because if you don't give up, perhaps it will lead to something that's good. Perhaps it will lead to something that's great. Look at Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You see, the anchor of perseverance means you don't just throw in the towel in your marriage. The anchor of perseverance means you don't just walk away. 
The anchor of perseverance means when things get difficult, perhaps you go to a counselor. Perhaps it's a Christian counselor so they can lead you back to God's word. When things get tough, the anchor of perseverance says, you don't quit. You keep going. You keep fighting. You keep working. You keep investing. You keep being intentional. That's what the anchor of perseverance is all about. You see, sometimes when we drift further and further and further away from our spouse, we just get used to it. You go your way. I'll go my way. When you get further and further away and you're drifting further and further from the person you made vows to till death do us part. And sometimes when you've drifted so far apart, you've got to pull out an oar and you've got to start doing something. You've drifted, but you need to start paddling and start paddling and start paddling, doing some of the things that you did when you were first in love. Write notes, have more communication, have more sex, do whatever it is. Keep paddling, keep paddling, keep paddling, keep paddling. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't just be like, well, this is how it is now. She'll go her way. I'll go my way. I'll just, we'll just do our different things. Ships in the night. No. You're not intended to be divided. You're intended to be united. So paddle and paddle and paddle and paddle. When you feel like giving up, don't give up. Keep going and keep going and keep going because your marriage is worth it. In 1991, a song came out by the, name, by the band named Diamond Rio. And this song was so popular, it went viral, as viral as things can go in 1991. <laughs> it went viral, and it was nominated for a Grammy. And it lost the Grammy nomination, or it lost the Grammy award, it lost to the Judds, because they came out with a song of Love Can Build a Bridge. Love Can Build, that's a good song. But... Diamond Rio song's better. Number one in my book, number one in my book of all time. It's my favorite country song of all time, but I love the message of the song because it's all about what a marriage is supposed to look like. It's all about how a marriage is supposed to work. So today, I've convinced the band to play my favorite song of all time. This is a song by Diamond Rio. The title is called Meet in the Middle. Listen to the lyrics. From your place to ours Neither one of us was old enough to drive a car Sometimes it was raining, sometimes it would shine But we wore out that gravel road between your house and mine I'll start walking your way, you start walking mine We'll meet in the middle, need that old Seven years tomorrow since we said our vows Under that old pine tree you ought to see it now Standing in the backyard minding me and you If we don't see eye to eye there's something we can do I'll start walking your way, you start walking mine Georgia Pine, we gain a lot of ground, 
Backstage, like doing the two step, I'm jamming back there. I love it. Love that song. You know, my favorite line of that song, babe, I love the way we work it out. That's what love is all about. We meet in the middle, need that old. That song's gonna be stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Sorry, not sorry. Because <laughs> I want it stuck in your head. Because the, the reality is that some of you have been drifting in your marriage and you know it in your heart, you know it in your mind, you know you've been drifting. And rather than walking down that old dusty road, perhaps you need to say, you know what, honey, we've been drifting and we need to do something about it. So tell you what, I'll start paddling your way. You start paddling mine. We'll meet in the middle. You got to stop drifting, start paddling, meet in the middle and get anchored to God's word. And here's what happens when you're anchored together, you're side by side. You're right there together, which is where God wants you. So what do you be anchored to? Four anchors. The anchor of protection, the anchor of trust, the anchor of hope, and the anchor of perseverance. Don't give up. And when you're anchored to God's word, you're side by side, you've met in the middle, and this is where God wants you. So as we wrap up our time this morning, let me end with this verse. The words of Jesus in Mark 10, verse 9, he says this, What God has joined together, let no one separate. If you have exchanged vows to your spouse before God, before man, perhaps before Elvis, if you got married in Vegas, <laughs> what God has joined together, let no man separate, including you. And if you've been allowing yourself to drift further and further away, stop drifting, start paddling, meet in the middle, and get anchored to God's word. And there, there is where you will experience the marriage God intended you to experience. Let's pray. God, I thank you for every married couple that's here. For every person that's not married, God, I pray that you give them hope. I pray that they go to you, they trust in you, that they're able to still build these anchors in so they can be the right person for when the right person comes into their life. But God, for all the married couples, for every person that's married, I pray that they can look at their spouse and they can realize and be honest, if they've been drifting, that they will stop just the business as usual, that they will stop allowing themselves to continue to drift, to continue to get further and further apart. You want us to be united, not divided. So I pray that they call it for what it is. I pray for honest, real, vulnerable conversations on the drive home from church today. That people can be real with their spouse over lunch. That they turn off the TV today and they say, hey, honey, let's talk. I feel like we've been drifting. Let's do something about it. I'll start paddling your way. You start paddling mine. Let's meet in the middle and let's be anchored to God's word, his truth. God, I thank you for the fact that we can be anchored to your word, that it provides protection and trust and hope and that we can persevere in that, that you will never leave us or forsake us. And God, I pray that when we do that, we trust in you, that we build our marriage on the rock of your word, that you will bless our marriage and that we will experience marriage how you intended us to experience it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.